changes not our will but yours be done come sustain us amen i was going to pray but that's our prayer this uh this morning for the sermon god dwell in our midst and uh, not our will, but yours be done. Hey, uh, so this is neat. I get to preach to you today. We have Jubilee service next week. Peter's going to be preaching in the first weekend of June, and then he's taking some much-needed rest and going on vacation. And so, um, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm looking at this sermon as a precursor to the sermons I'm going to be preaching in June, and I'm hoping to lay some foundations here. Now I. I confess that I'm a little nervous that it's, this is going to be a little teaching heavy, but I'll promise I'll try to bring it home at the end. But I want to begin our morning talking about a mission and how we understand that word and how, and I want to begin by saying mission uh, in the modern world has a bad name. Not unlike uh, last month when I was talking to you about discipleship having a bad name, but for different reasons. If you remember discipleship, when we're talking about discipleship, it has a bad name in the church and in the world because we oftentimes load it with all kinds of pressure and all kinds of programs. And we, th we think in terms of structures of discipleship and hierarchies and whatnot. And do you remember what we talked about last week or last month? When we said, no, discipleship's much more about modeling, and God uses our relationships to model to one another the life of Jesus. And so in the church, all kinds of discipleship is going on all the time. And so rather than thinking of discipleship as a po uh, program, we should be thinking of it, of it as a posture, that, uh, that all of our life together in our fellowship we are we're taking a posture of discipleship where we're modeling to one another, one another the life of Jesus. Well, mission has a bad name, but for different reasons. And I want to um, share with you what I think those reasons are, but also then I think what's the antidote to that, okay? And I want to begin by uh, noting that um, in the modern uh, age, in the modern period, there are two things that have contributed to mission having a bad name. The first has to do with imperialism. Now, with the rise of the modern missionary movement about 115 years ago, what was going on was that up until that time in Europe and then the United States later, uh, a phenomenon of Christendom was uh, in occurrence. And what that meant was all of society kind of uh, assumed a Christian worldview and a uh, Christian paradigm, and everyone you knew, uh, assume, you assumed were Christians. But with the modern era and the rise of technology and um, Europe began to encounter all sorts of other cultures, other faiths and traditions, other religions, other people groups, and all of a sudden, a lot of the verses in the Bible that uh, had a clear kind of missionary purpose um, that had been kind of forgotten for, for a season or for 500 years or so, a thousand years, uh, yeah, uh, jumped back up and, and um, were taken serious again. And so you had the rise of these missionaries and missionary movements and mission societies as extensions of the church and they were doing all kinds of sending and sending out missionaries all throughout the world and, and um, doing amazing work. And to this day, there are people in the, the two-thirds world um, who, who will speak in, in reverence of the missionaries that came into their, their cultures and their places and established churches, and they'll speak with reverence about those individuals and those groups and those uh, denominations. 
However, and I'm cautious about this because I don't want to paint with too broad a brush, brush stroke, but I want to at least acknowledge that even the most ardent supporters of overseas and foreign missions would say that there were some major problems with the way in which missionary work was occurring. And that had to do with the fact that so much of missionary work was uh, in, in bed with or associated with the phenomenon of imperialism. That um, for much of the Christian world in the West, in the Europe and the United States, they assumed by default that when they were going out to proclaim the gospel, the good news of Jesus, they were also there to present the benefits of Western civilization. In fact, that was one of the mantras that you would hear in many mission organizations. Taking the gospel of Jesus Christ and the benefits of Western civilization into all the world. You see that? So what had happened was the gospel had been fused with a, a, a particular cultural expression of it, which was Western civilization. And as a result of that, it was assumed that it wasn't just the gospel that they were bringing, they were also bringing all that Western civilization had to offer. Do you remember the movie Mission with uh, Robert De Niro? It's a perfect example of this. Uh, missionaries tended to be then the first forerunners of imperialization and then ultimately colonization. And so what happened was missionaries would go into indigenous cultures and they would win people to Christ and, and they would establish churches and the churches that they established looked a lot like European churches. But not only that, not only was there this kind of process of enculturating uh, Western values and worldviews, but the, the modern missionary movement was uh, in many ways the precursor for what would ultimately be called colonialism or the colonization of the world. And you, it was when Europe um, basically conquered the rest of the world and divvied up uh, the two-thirds world into their European empires, okay? So there's a legacy there that as we've moved further into the modern world, we look back and where there's a whole lot of shame in association with the missionary movements of the turn of the century because oftentimes they ended up looking like a game, a game of missionary conquest. Like risk, divvying up the board and conquering the world for Jesus. Does that make sense? So there's a kind of shame associated with the missionary movement because of its imperialization or tendencies towards those. But there's another phenomenon that I also think gives mission a bad name today, and that has to do with Christendom, what I just mentioned before, the legacy of Christendom, which says, which, and here's what Christendom is. It's when the larger society in, um, assumes a Christian worldview or Christian morals and ethics and values, right? And so, essentially, they serve as a prop to the church. And um, everyone seems to be a Christian. Everywhere you look, there are Christian symbols and Christian concepts and Christian ideas on display. And as time has um, gone on and as the pluralization of our society has continued and more people are rubbing up, you're rubbing elbows with other cultures and other traditions and other worldviews, that Christendom has begun to erode, but its legacy still persists. And so think about it this way. I come from the uh, uh, mainline tradition, the 
Presbyterian Church USA, right? And in the mainline church, the way you go about expanding or advancing, establishing the church in the world is you build one of these. After all, in, in, in Christendom, right, if you build one of these and open the doors, if you build it, they will come. Because people go to church because that's what a good civic-minded person does. Does that make sense? All of the society supporting the people, regardless of like your own heart convictions, right, everyone else is doing it, so, so should we, right? And so for much of the, uh, uh, the church, that, the mainline church that has been steeped in Christendom, and this, that's just in the United States, in, in, in Europe, um, governments had official religions, official Christian religions, whether Catholic or Protestant in their expression. So if that's what's going on, then what's the need for mission, right? And mission, um, there's no point. And even if you do have a sense of mission for your church, like a lot of the evangelical church in the United States has had um, a, a fairly truncated understanding of mission, even if you're like motivated to share the gospel, oftentimes what happens is images get associated with the reduction, because of Christendom, the reduction of mission into manageable, marketable parts. So you ha will have, oftentimes uh, associated with mission, the emotionally manipulative preacher, right? Or you will have an, an association of like, a set of um, intellectual reductions of the gospel into manageable parts, like the four spiritual laws. That's what mission looks like for many people. Or you have the false promises of prosperity and, and happiness, like the prosperity God. Do you know what that says? Under it says, because God, prosperity, because God wants us to have more cash. Or uh, mission is associated with slick marketing. I like this one. Regardless of what image you have in your mind, right, it tends to be, if it's a product of Christendom, it tends to be a reduction of the gospel into simple, manageable parts. And so, for many of us, in fact, I'm willing to guess for many of you here in this room, you are here because you are in reaction to a lot of the, the harm that has come from the, the product of Christendom and, and mission. And you're here because you're healing from old wounds. Because regardless of whether the message of the gospel is true, the means by which that message has been communicated feel, feel incongruous with, with that gospel. It doesn't seem to line up. The ways in which we're presenting the good news of Jesus do not seem to work. And so for many of us in this room, we have a bad taste in our mouth about mission because we load it with all these images of what mission really looks like. And we don't want to have any part of that. We don't want to be a part of that kind of colonialization of the world, or we don't want to have any part of the four spiritual laws and trying to convince or argue someone into faith. And, and so we feel a little bit ambiguous about what it means to do mission in the world. Because we read the Bible and it seems everywhere there's this m movement of setness that's happening. And that people were on the move. The church began by proclaiming the gospel. And we want to do the same thing, but we don't know how. We don't have an image in our head that seems to be centered on the good news of Jesus. So what are we to do with mission? What does that mean for our church and our life together? I'd like to suggest to you 
that the antidote to all our false understandings of what mission is is by looking at Jesus and specifically by considering theologically the implication of the incarnation. I want to ask, what does it look like to live theologically out of our deep theological convictions? And one of those is that God does not remain far from us, but he comes to us in Jesus, right? And so I want to look at what the incarnation means in terms of describing the what, the why, and the how of mission. Or another way of putting this is, uh, Jesus is the, both the messenger, the message, and the model. Now, I'm cautious about saying model uh, here because for many people, when they begin to approach Jesus as the, and use him as a model, they divorce him from his t- the totality of his life, and he then becomes an ethical or moral model, and uh, modeling after Jesus then ends up devolving into moralism. That's not what's going on here. In fact, I want to look at the sum total of Jesus' life in his life, his ministry, his suffering, his death, his resurrection, his ascension, and call that the Jesus event. Jesus, the incarnation, the incarnation of God in human history. I'm leaning here pretty heavily on one of my professors from Princeton, a guy by the name of Daryl Guter, and Daryl says this, the foundation and formative event of the Christian movement is Jesus Christ as the self-revelation of God. The life, ministry, suffering, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, it constitutes the gospel of God's gracious rule now inaugurated and breaking into human history. The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ have ended the power of sin and death and have opened the possibility of a new creation, a new and eternal life for all humankind. In Jesus Christ the Savior, God has made the promised healing of creation a reality. In Jesus Christ the Lord, God's sovereign love is accomplishing its saving purposes through the witness of the people called to serve and witness to him. It is to the event of Jesus Christ as God's word become flesh that the Christian community is called and empowered to be, to do, and to say its witness. I love that. And here's what I love about it. It's the sum total of our life Together, it's the purpose and meaning of the church. I want to argue that it's God is always about generating this mission. And I want to, I want to look at what that means, unpack that look, by looking at three words or concepts that are either unique or particularly special to the New Testament. And I want to begin by looking at the, the very word incarnation, right? The word actually never appears in the New Testament. Did you know that? But it comes from... Um, it comes from the New Testament. It comes from John chapter 1, verse 14. And the Word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen His glory, the glory as of a Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh. It was infleshed, infleshed. Incarnus is the Latin. Incarnation. The infleshment of the life of God, what happened in Jesus. So what does that mean? What does that mean for us? It means that God is always seeking to enflesh his very life in human history. God acts decisively, actively, in a a movement towards his very own creation. He does not choose to be God apart from us, but he chooses in his life to be God with us, to be God for us. He is enfleshed 
in our midst. It says Jesus lived amongst us. The word literally means Jesus tabernacled in our midst. So God's very life in Christ was made known and on display through Jesus. Right? If you want, if God, in, in another way of putting it, is God put a face to his life. And that face is Jesus. And God's always been doing this. In fact, all the, the Bible, the, both Old and New Testaments, are an account to the ways in which God has always been moving into our world, bringing his life, and finding its culmination in the Jesus event, the incarnation of Jesus. Derek Guder says, the God of both Testaments engages the history of his creation. He speaks in such a way that his voice can be heard and calls people not only to a response to his voice, but to become a part of his mission. So God, in his very being, in his heart, is a God who incarnates himself. And that's where we get this concept of mission. God's ascending God. That's the second word I want to look at. That, um, that the word of mission, or uh, it also means sending. Literally, mission is the Latinized ver word for sending. John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So God is up to something here. And if we look at the incarnation as, and, and frame it as the what of the gospel, Jesus as the what of the gospel, then mission can be seen as the why of the gospel. That, um, that mission reveals the very heart of the God who incarnates himself in the world. And what is that heart? That heart is that God does not be, want to be apart from his creation. God loves his creation. God so loved the world that he sent his son. Right? And that son bring, puts on display the very heart of God. So Jesus doesn't just give the fa a face to God. He reveals the heart of God. And, 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 and what's fascinating about this is when we unpack the New Testament, we realize that God isn't just ascending God in sending his son. He's also the God who invites us to be a part of his mission. You know, a lot of times uh, in the Reformation era, there was a lot of talk about um, the benefits of salvation. But maybe we're missing the point there, and maybe we need to shift from talking about the benefits of of salvation to talking about the possibilities of participating in God's mission in the world. So, Jesus says in John 20, verses 21 and 22, Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had, his, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. This verse and others like it are, are the foundations of what many are now calling the, a theology of the Missio Dei. That's Latin for the mission of God, or another way of saying it as the missionary God. And what that theology says is that God in his very heart, in his very being, is missionary. He's movement, he's action, movement in and towards his creation. And that not only does he move towards his creation, but he invites his own creation to participate in that mission. So you can construct the theology of mission by saying this. Just as the Father sent the Son into the world, and the Father and Son send the Holy Spirit into the world, 
So too, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit send the church into the world. God's people are invited to be a part of his missionary endeavor. So if the what of, of mission is the incarnation, the why of mission is uh, the, the why of mission is the sending nature, the sending heart of God. And that leads us to then the how. How does mission take place? How does it happen? And I would like to argue that it happens through witness. Jesus said in Acts 1, verse 8, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And behold, I am with you always. Always, Jesus says. You will be my witnesses. Again and again and again, we hear that word pop up in the New Testament. And I want to ask you, what does that mean? We talked about a little bit about this a few months ago, and I want to revisit it with you now. And I want to say this. What is a witness? If, if you put it into terms like a courtroom setting, what does a witness do, right? They testify, they give an account of what they have seen and what they have heard, right? No more, no less. Their life, what they've encountered, what they've seen and heard, that is their witness, a testimony of that. In fact, um, when we look at the Bible, we realize that the whole of Scripture is in fact a witness. It's an account, it's a testimony of what God has done in his action in human history for the world that he's created and dealing with his people. No, this has been made really clear to me recently in our um, fellowship groups, our house gatherings that we have going on right now. So as you know, or may know, some of us are reading through the New Testament together. And what we're doing is we're, we're ripping off big chunks of scripture all at once and reading it kind of as a narrative, as a story, rather than trying to harvest it for spiritual truths and nuggets and wisdom and, and that sort of thing, or looking at the Bible as kind of a handbook on how to deal with life, right? And one of my friends in the group that we are a part of um, ha had this epiphany where he's, he's like, you know, for the first time, I'm reading the Bible kind of holistically, and it's kind of changing the way I see what, what this is all about. And so we were reading through the, the, the book of Acts one week. We read it all in one sitting, and not together, but in our, in our readings at home. And then we came and discussed it, and he said, you know, I, I see this as this grand account of God dealing with his people and how he's forming his church, and now I'm seeing how my life and our church finds its rooting and basis in this larger story. Isn't that cool? The Bible then becomes, is a missionary document. It's this account, it's this witness to the action of God incarnating himself in human history while on mission. And for what end, for what purpose? Well, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4, 14, so that grace, as it extends to more and more people, may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. And that's the point, isn't it? Grace extending to more and more people. God always comes to us through other people. He reveals himself in fleshed. And that grace that gets extended to more and more people is to his glory. One of my favorite authors, Leslie Newbegin, says this. If you ask the wrong question, you get the wrong answer. The key is asking the right question. 
And for a good 500 years or longer, the church has been asking the wrong question. And that question is this, who gets saved? Who's in? Who's out? How are, is a person saved? In what ways? That's the, all the debates about election and heaven and hell and the things that we find ourselves in controversy now about sometimes. Who gets saved? But we've been asking the wrong question. The primary question we've been, we need to be asking is, how is God glorified? And what I'd like to suggest to you is God is glorified in and through our witness for the world. That's at the very heart of something like the Jubilee, right? Is Jubilee a program? It certainly is. Uh, it's kind of even gimmicky in some ways. <laughs> but it's intended to be an opportunity for us to explore what it means for us as a congregation to live out our witness in the world in our life together. Witness is the sum total of our life in and for the world. That means everything that we say together, everything that we do together, everything that we are together is to be submitted to in faithfulness to the Lord and be done as an expression of our love for his creation, his world. And that he is inviting us to be a part of what he's doing in that world. And he wants to use you and I, yes, even you and I, fallible you and I, the sanctuary, to bring about his accomplishment, to accomplish his ends. And so when we go to Jubilee next week, and we worship there and we serve there, it's not us in a, taking a posture of imperialism, oh, look at all the benefits we're bringing to you. Or it's not even a reduction of, oh, that mission is essentially service. No. As you interact with one another, sharing life together, serving, dealing with the community there, learning about their lives and their stories, inviting them into Christian friendship and fellowship, something about the sum total of our life together is intended to be a witness to the good news of Jesus Christ. I love what we preach here at the sanctuary. To me, it is the closest thing to, the, uh, to a full, whole gospel proclaimed. And I know that you are here as well because of that, that message. And my question then for us is, what does it look like to incarnate that message, to put flesh to it, to live it out into the, in the world, to live as if it's really true that God is better than we ever thought, his love is deeper than we know, and his spirit is working everywhere, the wonders of mercy, or as Peter's been preaching lately, that God is the creator and he does not fail in and for his creation. The world needs to hear this good news, this message. But what I'd like to suggest to you is it hears it best when it sees it. When it sees it on display. When a group of people choose to live in their life together as an expression of that good news. And so that's why we do what we do here. That's why we gather in faith. That's why we're built up in love. And that's why we're sent in hope. To be the church in and for the world. To be 
Christ's body, to incarnate him, to be the word made flesh. And that's the character of mission. And so this morning, as we gather around the table, you're invited to participate in God's life through Jesus Christ, in his sacrificial giving, his self-giving, his self-emptying for the world. And as we gather around communion and we fellowship together and we commune with one another and we have a common meal together, we are, I think it would be great if we asked God, hey God, what are you doing with us? What are you, look around for a moment. Look around at one another and go, God, you, you're creating us into something. You're creating us in to be your people, your missionary people. What would that look like for us, for the sanctuary, in this neighborhood, in our neighborhoods that we live in, in this city, Denver, in the world? How can we be a part of what you're doing, God? So I, uh, this morning I pass on to you what was first entrusted to me, that on the night our Savior was betrayed, he took bread, he blessed it, he thanked God for it, and he broke it. And he said, this is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood poured out, shed for the forgiveness of sins. Every time you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And here's what I love. Apostle Paul says, every time we eat of this bread and we drink of this cup, we are actually proclaiming, we are giving witness to the saving death of our Lord until he comes again. Friends, you're invited to come forward, take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup. Uh, white cups are juice, dark cups are wine. And uh, I think I got that right. Good, thank you. Yeah, you'd think I'd know this by now, right? And um, take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup, take Jesus into you, and allow him to be enfleshed in you so that you might be, incarnate him in the world. Friends, these are the gifts of God for the people of God. Come. mission does have a bad name in some circles, but it doesn't here, right? Because it, its name is beautiful. Its name is Jesus. And we are called to shine our light so the whole world can see to his glory. So I want you, I just want you to know what I see. I see God doing something crazy good with us. I think for years he's been incubating this message of grace in us, and now it's ready to hit the streets. And I'm excited about that. I'm excited. I wonder what that's going to look like for us, right? But I know this, and I hope you know this. Just as we've been gathered in faith and built up in love, we are being sent in hope. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and always. And friends, remember, if you didn't pick up on this, we're not meeting here next week. We've got Jubilee down in Sun Valley. There's flyers in the back that you can pick up with all the information, or we'll be sending out emails. It would be great if you were on the e-news list so that you'd get those. 
and we have prayer ministers up in front if you want to pray with them about what God's doing with you. So guys, have a great afternoon, and I hope you be the church together today. Bye.